It's time to be equipped for spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on biblical truth and defend their faith. Now, here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we're coming to you from KBXL 94.1 FM, The Voice. Starting today, we will be here every Saturday at 12 noon. Our show is about teaching on the topic of creation and evolution and biblical apologetics or how to defend your faith. We also have a ministry called Creation Training Initiative or simply CTI. And you can find us on the web at www.creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. Now, our topic today or challenge, as you might see it, is Is evolution a fact or is it a theory? Well, let's examine this question in two parts. Part one will be, is evolution a scientific fact? Well, let's start with a quote from Dr. Richard Dawkins. He has a PhD and he's an evolutionary biologist. And he states this about evolution. Evolution is a fact beyond reasonable doubt, beyond serious doubt, beyond sane, informed, intelligent doubt. Beyond doubt, evolution is a fact. Now, let's take a look at one of our modern biology textbooks and see what they have to say about evolution. And they state in the book, Today, nearly all biologists acknowledge that evolution is a fact. Now, let's go to our National Academy of Sciences. And they state, Is evolution a theory or a fact? It is both. So, all three of these definitions and groups clearly state that evolution is a scientific fact. But how do they know evolution is a fact? Does evolution really qualify scientifically to be a fact? Well, before answering this challenge, we must agree on the definition of what we mean by evolution. See, a lot of people talk about microevolution and macroevolution. What's the difference? Well, microevolution means small, gradual steps, such as we see in different kinds of creatures, such as the dog kind. We see dogs have variety within kind. Well, is that really evolution? No, that is not really evolution. That is just variety within kind. We see that in all creatures. The human species alone has tremendous variability in kind. Dog kind, cat kind, the pachyderm kind all have variety variety within kind. That is programmed in our DNA to be different within kind. But then there is macroevolution. This is commonly referred to as Darwinian evolution. This is one kind becoming a new kind, such as a fish becoming an amphibian or a bird becoming some other kind of creature, or like a dinosaur becoming a bird. That is macroevolution. Now, in this talk, we're only going to talk about macroevolution because micro is really not evolution at all. So now, before we discuss this, we need to understand definitions. Definitions are very important to understand so we don't mix things up here. So what is a fact in science? Let's talk about the definitions of fact and theory. What is a fact in science? Well, let's go to our National Center for Science Education. They define a scientific fact as an observation that has been repeatedly confirmed and for all practical purposes is accepted as true. In other words, some aspect of what we observed out there 
has been repeatedly confirmed, and again, it has been observed. That's our National Center for Science Education. Now, the National Academy of Sciences defines a scientific fact as, in science, a fact typically refers to an observation, measurement, or other form of evidence that can be expected to occur the same way under similar circumstances. And that was our National Academy of Sciences. Now, something to note here. There are three factors in those two definitions. Number one, to be a fact, it must be observed. Number two, it must be repeatable. And number three, make accurate predictions or work the same way all the time. Now, let's compare that to what we know about evolutionism. First, no one ever observed the Big Bang and it's never been repeated. So it's not a scientific fact there. Two, no one ever observed or has observed a star or a galaxy form. So that cannot be a fact of science. Three, no one ever observed the origin of life and it has never been repeated. So that is not a fact of science. Four, no one ever observed one creature evolved into another kind of creature. So that is not a scientific fact. That is Darwinian evolution right there. One kind changing into another. It has never been observed. Five, no one ever observed millions of years. That is not a fact. Six, no one has ever observed large canyons forming over millions of years. What we have observed is large canyons formed rapidly, such as the Little Grand Canyon at Mount St. Helens. So this idea that large canyons always require long periods of time to form is not a scientific fact. Therefore, can evolution be a fact? The answer has to be no, not according to the observational scientific evidence. Evolution simply does not agree with the definition of a scientific fact. Well, there you have it. Now, Gentlemen, James Tour, who has his PhD in chemistry, talking about Darwinian evolution, states this. I have trouble with the Darwinian account because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the process in which molecular structure can change to build one entity and transform it into another. So there's a credible scientist, PhD in chemistry, saying this whole idea of Darwinian evolution simply doesn't fit what we observe. Here's another gentleman, James Gunn. He has a Ph.D., and he's professor of anatomy at Princeton University, and he states this. A basic tenet of science is that you can do repeatable experiments, and you can't do that in cosmology. What did he just say there? This whole idea of cosmology, astronomy, is not based on facts. We don't observe much out there changing. We observe stars burning up. We observe stars exploding. But we don't observe stars forming or galaxies forming. So where did they come from? It's not a scientific fact. Their origins there. Now here is Hubert Yaki, PhD in physics, talking about the origin of life. And he states, A great deal of effort has been expended in finding theories for the origin of life without success. The whole idea of evolution as a scientific fact is nothing more than a bluff. There are no scientific facts to support evolutionism. Jonathan Wells, who has a Ph.D. in molecular and cell biology, talks about the origin of life, and he states, So we remain profoundly ignorant of how life originated. Instead of being told the truth, we are given the misleading impression that scientists have empirically demonstrated the first step in the origin of life. And there are many other scientists that will say the same thing. 
Evolution, folks, is simply not a fact of science, and we need to make sure in our education system we teach good science and not bluffing or some type of philosophy that we want to hold to. Now, you've been listening to Defending the Faith, and I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we're on KBXL 94.1 FM, The Voice. Now, I want to take a little time and tell you who we are. We're a ministry called Creation Training Initiative. And we're here every Saturday at 12 noon. And we're going to be talking about areas of science, evolution, the Bible, and how to defend our faith. And I want to talk a little about who we are before we go on to the next point. Now, how do we do this? How do we train people to defend their faith? Well, we actually provide training courses, one-day to five-day training courses. And these include courses such as our basic creation training class, and that is designed for teens and above. It's a full-day class that you can attend. All you have to do is call us up and, and give us a place to host the course, and we will come. For teens and above, and we want to get our teens trained how to defend their faith. In that course, they'll learn about the Bible, they'll learn about evolution, why it doesn't work, and they'll get all sorts of information how to defend their faith. We have another course, one-day course, called Advanced Creation Apologetics, and this is for high school students and above. In here, we train you on critical thinking skills, how to turn the situation around, how to talk to non-believers and scientists and not even have to know the science. Powerful course there. Train you on answering questions such as, how can you call God good when he allows evil to exist? So we train you on all those evidences for the existence of God. Then we have a one-day Christian teacher training course, training teachers how to teach based on what the Bible has to say. Then we have our top-of-the-line course. This is our five-day course. It's called Creation Apologetics Teachers College. In that course, we will train you how to become a speaker and teacher on biblical creation and apologetics. Many of our students who have gone through this course are already speaking in churches, local communities, and even around the country. Now, if you want more information, you can contact us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. Now, let's get back to our talk. Is evolution a fact or a theory? Well, we've already discussed that evolution is not a fact, and the reason for that is it hasn't been observed. So now let's take a look. Is evolution a theory? Is it really a theory? Well, in a theory, there are several parts that have to take place. Number one, it must be well-tested. A theory, in order to be a theory, it has to be something that's well-tested. So now, let's start with some definitions. What do we mean by a scientific theory? We just said it had to be well-tested, but let's take a look at some formal definitions, and we'll start with our National Academy of Sciences. It state, they state, in science, a well-substantiated explanation of some aspect of the natural world that incorporate facts, laws, inferences, and tested hypotheses. So a scientific fact is about one specific aspect, but a scientific theory incorporates scientific laws, inferences, and tested hypotheses. So it's a whole group of things we look at to get a theory. Now, here's from a biology textbook. They state this about a theory. It is a well-tested explanation that unifies a broad range of observations. There you get that broad range of observations. 
Now let's take another look at what a scientific theory is. And this comes from the journal Scientific American. And they state, a scientific theory is an explanation of some aspect of the natural world that has been substantiated through repeated experiments or testing. Now, what do these different statements or definitions have in common? Well, number one, as we stated, it must be well tested. Number two, it, <clears throat> number two, it must include a broad range of observations, facts, laws, and inferences. And number three, it must be substantiated through repeated experiments. So now let's do what we did for a fact. Let's compare evolution to these definitions. Well, we have always stated it must be well tested. Evolution has been well tested. However, what have been the results? Well, let's start here. Number one, we can't figure out how life started. In other words, our best scientists in the world can't figure out how life started. Jeffrey Tompkins, who has his PhD in genetic states, even with the most ingenious engineering of equipment and conditions to supposedly simulate some sort of early evolutionary event involved in the formation of the first particles of life, these studies have either failed or have produced entirely unsupportive results. Folks, when we talk about the origin of life, our best scientists in the world cannot even create one living cell. And you have about 60 trillion of these in your body. But it gets better. Our best scientists in the world cannot even create one single small biological protein. So that cannot be called a scientific theory. Now, we talk about dating methods. Now, we're not talking boy-girl here. That's for somebody else to talk about. We're talking about dating rocks and fossils. Now, they're called exact forms of dating in these textbooks. Now, first of all, if they're exact forms of dating, if all these things give exact ages, then why do we need so many of these dating methods? If they're exact forms, why do we keep trying to invent new methods? Also, what they don't tell you in the textbooks is these dating methods are all based on assumptions which have been shown to be false. Every one of them is based on assumptions. I was once at a secular university doing a talk. When I got done my talk, the professors started asking me a lot of questions and challenges, as did their students. And I was able to answer most of their questions, and I follow up their questions when I answer them with a question of my own. And they were having trouble answering my questions. And then one of the professors stood up and said, well, Mike, why don't you talk about the radiometric dating methods? And I responded this way, well, sir, if you would tell the audience here about the assumptions in the dating methods, then I'll tell you how they exactly work. The professor would not tell the audience about the assumptions. Why not? Because he knew if his students knew about the assumptions, there would be great doubt in how well they really work. So I didn't have to talk anything about the radiometric dating because he was not willing to tell his own students about the assumptions. Now, where did I get such an idea as to answer a question with a question? How about the Bible, folks? Didn't Jesus do exactly that when he was confronted once? And he said, well, first let me ask you a question. If you can't answer my question, then I'm not going to answer you. Doesn't, isn't Jesus the master teacher? That's who we should be following, how we do our education. Now, also they don't tell us 
about these dating methods that you can take one rock sample into a laboratory, date it by four of these different supposedly exact forms of dating, and come up with four completely different ages. What does that tell you about the dating methods? They do not work. Then, the explanation for the Big Bang keeps changing. It, it's like jello. They tell us, here's how the Big Bang works. Then they find some scientific evidence that do not agree with the Big Bang. So what do they do? Keep changing it. So if the Big Bang simply cannot be a fact, and it cannot be a theory. It is constantly changing, and there are many, many problems today with the Big Bang. And we're going to talk about that next week. And finally, here's another one. These scientists can't even agree on where dinosaurs came from. See, the common question we have is, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, that's easy to answer. As far as we know, they all died. And we can get into that more details on another talk on that one. But the important question we need to ask about dinosaurs is this. Where did they come from? I've been to museums all over the world. And what do I see in museums? Dinosaur bones. I open up all these dinosaur books. What do I find in the dinosaur books? Bone pictures of dinosaurs. What's missing in all these museums is the hundreds or thousands of transitions that were needed to lead up to where the dinosaurs came from. Let me give a couple of quotes here. The Illustrated Encyclopedia of Dinosaurs makes this statement. The question of the origin of dinosaurs is one that has puzzled paleontologists for many years. The Natural History Museum, well, excuse me on that one, the Natural History Museum Book of Dinosaurs says this. Where did dinosaurs come from? That apparently simple question has been the subject of intense debate among scientists for over 150 years. In other words, they don't know where dinosaurs came from. They just suddenly appear in the fossil record. Now, here's our Smithsonian Institute. That is not a Christian organization. And here's what they have to say in May 2010. The discussion of, over where dinosaurs came from in the first place is often overlooked. Hypothesis of dinosaur origins has been just as controversial as those of triggers for the end of the Cretaceous mass extinction. In other words, they don't know where dinosaurs came from, according to their idea. But if you read the Bible, they came on day six, because that's the day God made the land animals. And that's exactly what the fossil record shows. Yes, evolution has been well tested, but there have been no results that verify evolution to be true. Based on testing, evolution fails the test of being a theory. And then a theory also has to be observable. What do we actually observe about evolution again? Again, no one observed the Big Bang. No one observed the formation of stars or galaxies. No one observed the origin of life. No one observed one creature evolving to a new creature. What we do observe, though, is this might grab you here. This might astound you. Fish become fish. Bacteria become bacteria. Horses produce horses and apes produce apes. That's what we observe. And folks, that is exactly what the Bible teaches. In addition, no one ever observed large canyon form over millions of years, but we have observed rapid canyon formation. No one ever observed millions of years. Millions of years is just another way of stating there's no observable evidence. That's what it means when somebody says, well, given millions of years, what they're really saying is, we don't have the observable evidence, but just trust us. Now, John Ashton, who has his PhD in chemistry and is professor of biomedical sciences, states this. 
Dating the origin of life to a time of billions of years ago still doesn't help explain how life could have started from non-living matter. See, he just said what I just said. Millions of years is just a method of burying your evidence that you really don't have. So based on actual observational evidence, evolution fails the test of being a theory. Now has evolution been substantiated? Now what does that word mean? It means supported, proven, verified. Ladies and gentlemen, if an idea has never been reproduced, never been observed, and is based entirely on promotion in the schools and the media, how can it really be a scientific theory? See, there's a complete lack of real transitional creatures. What we observe in our textbooks are pictures drawn by artists, never a factual full line of transitions. Also, there's the whole idea of the Cambrian explosion where almost every body shape appears in the fossil record with no transitions leading up to it. Most of our fossil demonstrations, most of the fossils we find are found in sediments laid down by water. Sounds to me like a, a worldwide flood. Also, DNA is so complex that with all our modern technology, we're still trying to figure out how it works. How could some random chance process design something so complex our best scientists can't figure it out? See, today, there's overwhelming scientific evidence that dinosaurs have lived at the same time as man. You know what we're finding in these dinosaur bones? Soft tissue, red blood cells, proteins, DNA. This clearly refutes the evolutionism idea. So has the evolution been substantiated? No. So what's our conclusion here? What is evolution? It is not a scientific fact, and it does not qualify as a scientific theory. Evolution is an unverified hypothesis. You could call it a model, or you could call it a philosophy, but definitely not a scientific fact or a scientific theory. Now, what does this mean? Well, there's only two ways we could have gotten here. And that is, number one, the universe and all life evolved through naturalistic processes. Or number two, everything was created by God. Now, since evolution simply does not supply the real answers, we can turn to the only other option, the Bible. See, the Bible does have answer. It does agree with reality. It agrees with the origin of the universe, matter. Where did all the matter come to create this universe? It agrees with the origin of stars and galaxies, what we see out there. It agrees with the origin of life, which is so complex our scientists can't even make a protein. It agrees with the fossil records. We find most fossils buried in sediments laid down by water. History, archaeology, and numerous accounts have verified the Bible. The value and sanctity of human life. The reason for why we have suffering and death in the Bible. The incredible design in all life. The origin of language is the beginning of nations. The Bible also tells us who this creator is. He is all-powerful. He is the creator of all things. Only he can create out of nothing. He is a God of order. His order in creation was perfect. He is a transcendent God. He transcends his creation. He is above his creation, but he can enter into it, and he did so in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign, absolute ruler over his creation. He has a special interest in mankind. Only we were made in his image and likeness. His works are perfect. Genesis 1.31, his creation was perfect. He is a God of judgment. He judged the world once in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9 with a flood. He is a living God. He's not some inanimate object. He is a personal God. We can talk to him. He is a God of love. He loved us while we were still dead in our sins and sent his only begotten son for our salvation. He is a God of patience. He is a God who cares for us. And he's also a God of grace and mercy. His grace and mercy is big enough to cover anything we have done. 
And we'll finish with, he is a God of mercy. And it states in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been listening to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. Thank you, and God bless.